Thanks, Jonathan. Good job. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Yo, yo, yo. Glad you guys are here. Uh, like Craig mentioned, my name is Nick. I am on staff here at Grace Church Alito, not the volleyball club. I say that every time I preach, but uh, I think it's funny. Uh, thank you for the couple of people who cheered when Craig said I was preaching. I took, I did take note of that. Uh, but for real, I'm glad you guys are here. I'm, I'm really excited to talk this morning. Is that really echoey right now? Let's work on it. Okay. If it doesn't fix, just tell me what else. I'll take this microphone off. Um, man, I'm really excited to look at this passage this morning. Excited to preach the last sermon of 2023, our first uh, full year as a church plant here in Lido. It's been cool to see, you know, what the Lord has done. Um, what the Lord has done through uh, Pastor Matt, through each of you, through the way you guys serve, through the people he's brought here, the new families he's brought, and... Uh, you know, this is just the beginning, right? We didn't plant for a year, and we're moving somewhere else, as Trin likes to joke about. But we are excited to see what the Lord does as we continue to, to plant roots here, um, as you guys plant roots here with your families and all those things. So I'm excited, excited to get going. Um, I got, the last time I got to preach was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, um, and I think I mentioned that I had a great Thanksgiving. I probably gained 10 pounds um, and I, I'm afraid to say I have the same report for Christmas as well. <laughs> um, it means it was a good Christmas, though. Um, so that means I'm hitting the New Year's resolutions extra hard, extra hard this year, though. Um, I'm sure each of you guys maybe have some New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to get too much into that, but um, hopefully, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some areas where, hey, I want to change. I want to do this. I want to read more books. I want to work out more. I want to exercise, spend more time with my wife, my family. Fill in the blank, right? Um, and you no, know, I always get really excited about this time of year. I get excited about th- those things um, until about January 28th, you know. And then, but, but for real, I'm excited. I'm really excited about a couple things. I'm excited about our rallying cry for this year. Like Craig said, our rallying cry last year was, "We are humble before and joyful in Jesus." This year, our rallying cry is, "We tell people about Jesus." Right. So our three kind of DNA points of Grace Alito: uh, we delight in the Trinity. We cultivate deep friendships, and we boldly evangelize. And we felt like we do the first two really well, right? But let's grow in boldly evangelizing. Let's be a church, a family of families, like we like to say, that boldly evangelizes. Um, not that we are bold in our own right. We're courageous in our own strength, but we are bold about who Jesus is and what he has done in our life, right? So I'm excited about that. I'm excited for some of the trainings and the men and women gatherings that we're going to get to do. Um, and excited to grow in that together. And I'm also really excited about the, the reading plan, GCA 365, all right? And um, thinking about all of us, uh, whoever chooses to join in, the, uh, a family of families going through the same scripture together on a weekly basis and letting that um, not be another checklist, another to-do thing, but something that we get to rest in and something that gets to wash over us as scripture was intended to do, right? So I'm really excited about those things, right? But what I don't want us to do is get caught up in um, a checklist mentality or go, 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 do, 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 right? Because I think there's this, there's a pendulum of like this New Year's resolution kind of mentality of, or even spiritual disciplines, if you want, of I have to do these things. If I don't do these things, I'm a failure. Or the other side of I don't have to do any of these things because I'm washed in the blood. Grace covers all of it, right? And so, man, we want to find ourselves somewhere in this sweet spot of where we are trusting who Christ is, but also obeying what he has called us to do, right? Because both ends of that spectrum, I think, fall very short and far away of the ways of Jesus and how he lived 
his life, right? So my prayer for us as we head into the new year is that we would not get caught up in doing ministry or doing things for Jesus in our day-to-day life, but we would be focused and swept up in doing life with Jesus, right? And being with him, okay? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to read those verses again. They'll be on the screen, John 15, 1 through 8. I want you guys to listen um, for the commands that he gives whenever he's, whenever he's talking. This is Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you remain in me. No, I lost my spot. Unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples, right? So in the passage, Jesus says, abide in me, and he tells us that he is the vine and that we are the branches. Every time I read this passage, I think about a couple of things, but I'm always reminded of this sermon I heard several years ago at a conference I went to. It was a conference for uh, uh, ministers or church leaders, church volunteers, anything really just a, a, a time of encouragement. And a pastor named Kyle Eidelman, who some of you guys have probably heard of, he, he's a, an author as well. He wrote a book called Not a Fan. It was pretty popular. Um, and he was giving this talk really just to encourage um, people in ministry, um, whether that was vocational or uh, volunteer basis. And he was just, he was talking about how, man, I, he wanted to sit down and come up with a motto, or I think he used the word mantra for his church. And he sat down with a guy who did that for a living for sports players and, and sports teams, something that people could repeat and remind themselves in specific moments or instances that would be beneficial to them to help maybe correct uh, an error that they had repeated or something that they could grow in, right? And so as he was w- working through this, he came up with this mantra for the church and he shared it with us. And uh, I'm not here to give us like a mantra or anything. I'm not in charge of the church. Um, but uh, I did find it to be extremely beneficial for me during that time of my life, that season of my life, and even now um, that I often fall short of and have to run back to time and time again. But he, he didn't go super in-depth into the scripture, but he basically said, and I was expecting like this long motto or something that's going to be really profound, and all he said was, be the branch. Be the branch, right? And he, he said that, and at first I was like, I was like oh, I thought it was going to be like, something profound I've never heard. But as he explained and went into it, um, man, it made a lot of sense to me, and it became more and more profound and more and more deep, right? And so we're going to talk about that for a little bit. What does it look like to be the branch? So first off, in order to be the branch, we need to quit focusing on production and start focusing on connection, okay? What I mean by that is quit focusing on what am I going to do and start focusing on what has Jesus done and how do I be the branch? How do I remain connected to him, right? Because what we end up doing, we get caught up in verse 8, 
where Jesus says, my father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and you prove to be my disciples, right? So my brain, my legalistic, um, grew up in a salvation by works kind of brain was, okay, easy. I just got to produce fruit. I got to produce fruit. I got to prove to be his disciples. What do I need to do to change? What do I, how do I need to change the way I'm living? What do I need to do better to make sure that I start producing fruit, right? That's, that's where my brain goes. And I start to think, okay, I'll do this. I'll start reading my Bible more. I'll start telling more people about Jesus. I'll start doing this. I have to do this. I, 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 I. You see the pattern, right? I get caught up in that. I think we do that a lot. We get so fixated on the fruit. We get so fixated on the product that we end up getting man, frustrated and stressed and, man, maybe even starting to doubt our relationship with the Lord when we don't see fruit. God, what am I doing wrong? Where am I messing up? Why do I keep falling into this sin? Why do I keep falling short here? Why do I keep yelling at my kids? Why, why, why? What is it, right? What is going on? The problem is, man, we, we have it backwards, right? We get so caught up in the fruit, but no matter how disciplined you are with your scripture reading, no matter how frequently you pray, no matter how many people you tell about Jesus, right? All these things are good, and all these things that whenever I was younger, I felt like I just had to do them or else God didn't love me, right? When we have it backwards and we're focused on the product, it doesn't matter how well we do them or what we're doing right if we don't get this one thing right, which is being connected to Christ in a relationship with Jesus, right? And I'm not, I'm not dismissing reading scripture or any of those things, right? Don't hear me say that. I'm going to talk about those things more. But when we get it backwards, those things are not ultimately what satisfies us, right? So before we can ever worry about production, we have to be worried about connection, right? So at, you have to ask yourself this morning, right now, am I connected to the vine, right? Because if I'm not, that has serious consequences, whether it's a, a temporal thing or it has always been that way. You've never had a relationship with Jesus, right? So obviously you have to, one, put your faith in Christ, put your faith in his finished work on the cross, right? Trust that there's no amount of righteous deeds or acts, which our righteous deeds are referred to as filthy rags, right, before the Lord. There's no amount of righteous deeds or things that God has called us to do that we can do on our own to be deemed righteous, right? Or to produce that fruit on our own, right? There's no, nothing, no amount of strength we can muster up to do that. So that's first. And second, the am I connected to the vine is a, it's not just am I Christian, right? It goes, it goes deeper than that. Are you daily communing with the Lord, right? Not are you perfect, not do you have it all figured out, not did you stop sinning three years ago, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But do you engage in a relationship with Jesus? And when you do, how frequently do you do it? You know, does he know what you're struggling with, right? Obviously he knows, right? But have you told him? Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to tell him what's going on. So have you told him? Or are you carrying your struggles alone, right? Um, over Christmas break, I was with my family, um, and my brother and I were just talking. I was talking about my sermon a little bit, and we were talking about just, you know, life in general and different things. And he had just recently gone to a uh, kind of a solitude retreat for some young life leaders. Um, 
And the guy who was kind of running it, he was having a conversation with him, and he, he, uh, he, he said this to him, and this is a, I'm reading it as a quote. I don't know if this is word for word. But uh, he said, the definition of your spiritual life is how long it takes you to come back to Jesus. And I love that he said that. I texted him later. I said, hey, what did you say I'm using that in my sermon? Um, the definition of your spiritual life is how long it takes you to come back to Jesus. So just think on a daily or weekly basis for you. Let's say today. When you leave here today, when's the next time, not necessarily that Jesus crosses your mind, when's the next time you're going back to Jesus, right? Is it on the way home in the car? Is it when you pray tonight over your meal or lunch? Is it next Sunday? Is it quiet time tomorrow? Is it, when is it, right? And so I think that is something that was pretty heavy to me to think about. Man, I can tell how frequently I'm going back to Jesus is a lot of times affecting how I'm living. Not how life is going for me, but how I am living my life, right? It doesn't affect my circumstances, but it affects how I'm living in the midst of those circumstances. So to be the branch, we have to go to Jesus, right? We've got to focus on connection, and we have to go to Jesus. Because like I said, you know, Jesus wants you to bring those struggles to him. He wants to be connected to you. He created us that way, right? He created us to need community. He didn't create us to carry our struggles or shoulder our burdens on our own, right? One of my favorite scriptures, Matthew 11, 28 and 30 says, come to me, all of you who are weary. This is Jesus talking, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to run this race alone, okay? These things that I have called you to, these things that I have commanded you to do, which I mentioned, think of the commands that Jesus has mentioned in John 15, right? I think of produce fruit, be proved as a disciple. But if you read it, all he says is remain in me. That's the only command he's given us, right? Other verses say abide in me. He's not saying you will produce much fruit when you do checklist one, two, and three. He just says remain in me. I've paid the price. I've done the work. I just want you. I want relationship with you. He's saying you don't have to run this race alone. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just be the branch. Man, when I invite people over to my house, I don't expect them to bring all sorts of stuff. If you're in my community group, that's different. We all pitch in for dinner. But come over for dinner. That doesn't mean, okay, what are you bringing for dinner? Excuse me. Man, you've been invited to the table. I've got a meal ready for you. I've got a good drink ready for you. I just want your company. I want to enjoy time together. Jesus has a place at the table for you. He's invited you in the exact same way. He doesn't say, make sure you've got this on your checklist, on your, your packing list, whatever. Just come. You, your heart, your soul, I want it. I've died for it. Just be the branch. Just remain in me. Stay connected, right? I think what we've seen, I think we've seen what happens, right, when we, we try to operate out of our own strength. We try to produce that fruit without being connected to the branch, right? It's a, it's a dead end, right? We end up exhausted, defeated, discouraged, depressed, um, upset, frustrated, angry, fill in the blank, right? And that's because we think about verse 8 all the time, produce the fruit, be proven as his disciples, but we forget verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, 
key phrase right here. Because you can do nothing without me. All I think about is, okay, yeah, I'll produce fruit. But I so quickly forget, I can't. I can't, right? I can't do it on my own. I can't do it just with some friends. I need Christ. I cannot do anything without him, right? And I pray that we all come to that moment. We come to that realization of, I'm hopeless. I'm lost. I'm alone. I'm weak. I cannot do anything on my own, right? Because it's, it's in those moments when you're at rock bottom, when, man, there's, there's nowhere else to look but up and see, God, I need you. Man, in those moments when no matter how successful I am in business or how healthy my family is or whatever, it's not enough. It doesn't satisfy. It's not going to get us where we want to be ultimately. We say, I need help, right? And I know for me it was, it was an early morning in a conference room in a church at a, in a Bible study that was led by one of the church pastors when I was in college that I was actually on staff at the church as an intern ministering. And I realized, I don't think I've ever given my life to Christ. I've been operating out of my strength for years and years and years, and I cannot do anymore. And it was the most humbling moment of my life where I had to say in front of a room full of people who I had known and had earned their respect as, at least I thought, as someone who uh, was, a, was a man of God who ministered to youth students and, and other things. Um, and in that moment, my pride... Uh, not just in that moment, but moments that the Lord was leading up to had just chiseled and chipped away at that pride that was, was uh, man, so um, stubbornly holding on to, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing all, look at all these things I'm doing. Look what I'm doing, right? And it was in that moment in that conference room, um, I said, I don't think I've ever given my life to Christ. I need to do that right now with tears. Just, I don't even know if anyone can understand what I was saying, but... It was in that moment, man, when I finally stopped relying on myself, stopped trying to do it on my own, stopped trying to rely on my own works and saying, man, if I just, if I just keep, get back to reading my Bible again, if I just keep leading these Bible studies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start feeling it again. I'm going to be good. I'm gonna, God's going to not be disappointed in me. He's going to love me. No, man, I, I finally said enough is enough, and I put my faith in Christ. I turned to him. Right, and I quit relying on myself, and that's the the other thing that really stuck out to me. I thought about being the branch, man. To be the branch, we have to be completely dependent on Christ. Just like a literal branch is dependent on the vine, or a branch is dependent on the tree itself to have life, to have be nourished, to um, to bear fruit. Right? There's no difference. We are the same way with Christ. If we are not connected. We are dead, going to be gathered up and tossed into the fire, all right? One of my favorite quotes about dependency, Craig knows exactly what I'm about to say, because we quoted to each other a lot, I feel like. If dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. I've heard it quoted by a lot of people, so I didn't know who to credit it to. But dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. If our goal as Christians is to be dependent on Christ, dependent on the Lord, then our weakness, our weaknesses help us get there, right? If dependency is the goal, then weakness is the advantage, right? And so that's, that's, first off, that's a big if, right? 
Is dependency the goal? Is your goal to be dependent on Christ? Right? Ask yourself that. Or is it to be happy? Is it to be financially comfortable? Is it your goal to get this job or to live in this house, to live in this neighborhood for a healthy family? Is it for, you know, what is it? What is your goal, right? If the goal is to be dependent in Christ, to become more like Christ, I can tell you what Jesus didn't do, right? He didn't do it on his own. When we think of Christ, I think what we often go to is God, powerful, the miracles and wonders that he performed, that he, um, that he did, that he showed the disciples, that he showed the many people um, that we would, we would look at and say, yeah, he is God. He walked on water. He turned water to wine. All these different things that the Lord has done that we find miraculous, unbelievable. We go to that, right? We think of his power. But what I love is that Jesus was extremely dependent, right? He did not view himself in that same light. He viewed himself through the lens of humility, right? Uh, in Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, which is a book about prayer, um, he has this one line in there where he just says, Jesus was the most dependent person who ever walked the face of the earth. And when I read that through my lens of, and Jesus is powerful, he is the name above all names, he's the king of kings, which is all true. But when I read that and, and really thought about it and sat on it, Jesus is the most dependent person who ever walked the face of the earth. Man, I, I uh, was kind of floored to think about the way Jesus viewed himself and the way Jesus viewed the Father, right? He knew this was true, right? He said it in verse 1 of this passage. Jesus is the vine. He says, I'm the vine, but my Father is the gardener. My Father is the vine keeper, right? He understood the Father's role in all of this, right? And how often do we see Jesus go to the wilderness, go to the, the desolate place to be alone, to be in solitude, to be in silence, to be with the Father, right? He knew he couldn't do it on his own, right? He was fully God, yes, but he was fully man. And we're often too quick to forget that, right? Just as we are walking around in the flesh, he was tempted in the exact same ways as we are by the devil himself. I don't know that any of us can say we've been tempted directly by the devil. And he never sinned. He was perfect, without blame, without blemish, because, not just because he was God, because he was completely and fully reliant upon the Holy Spirit and the Father, right? He did not do it in his own strength, but he frequently and often went to the Father for help, prayed to the Lord for guidance, went to him to be with him, right? Not so he could check off, okay, I, spent, I did quiet time today, and that is where he pulled his strength. That's where he pulled his power from, was from the Lord. Jesus was completely reliant upon him, right? And if Jesus was reliant on the Father and the Spirit, how much more so should we be? right? I'm, I'm talking to myself right now, right? I'll confess to you, even there were plenty of times over Christmas break and during my writing of this sermon where I operated out of my own strength, right? Where I should have stopped, I should have prayed, Lord, sh give me what you want me to say. But rather, instead of maybe looking for what was most effective, I was trying to be efficient, right? And so I'm not, I'm not uh, innocent of that by any, any stretch of the imagination whatsoever, but if Jesus was relying upon them, how much more so do we desperately, every day, every hour, every moment, need our Heavenly Father to intervene for us, right? 
in life and death, but also in, in the way that we walk, the way that we talk. We can do nothing that is righteous or of eternal value without him. We just can't, right? And he says it clearly. You can do nothing apart from me. So what if 2024 was remembered for you as the year where you stop telling God, hey, I got it, okay? I got it. Like, I'm going to keep doing my Bible study. I'm going to keep coming to church once a month or however often I'll do community group, whatever. Um, but I'm going to dictate how I live on my own. I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to um, live comfortably or do what I think is in my best interest, right? What if this year, man, we kind of just let go of the steering wheel, let go of the reins and said, God, I trust you, right? Not only because you have what's in my best interest, but because you're going to be able to do much more with this life that you have given me than I can do on my own, right? And I could go way into that, but I don't have time, okay? What if we stopped doing it on our own and we said, Lord, I'm going to start running to you. I'm going to start leaning on you. I'm going to start seeking you for wisdom. I'm going to start seeking you for guidance because I need it. I can't do it alone. How would your life change? How would your day-to-day change? How would the way you spent your time change? How would the way you interacted with other people, with your family members change, right? If we were completely dependent and reliant upon the Lord, how much easier would it be to tell people about him, right? How would that change? And so the question, I think, naturally becomes, how do we grow to depend on Jesus? If we want to be the branch, how do we focus on connection over production? How do we do these things, right, practically? What is fruit practically, right? I keep saying fruit, fruit, fruit. Um, How do we do that, right? Because it doesn't just happen naturally. We don't ever have a just an accidental drift towards holiness, right? That's not the way it works. It's the other way around, right? You've heard the old story of the the farmer and his wife who's got this single cab truck and the wife always sat in the middle. And over the years, she started sitting by the window and she said, why don't we sit next to each other anymore? And the farmer said, I haven't moved, you know? We're the same way, right? We, We naturally, because of our flesh, because of this broken world, we are drifting the other way. We are drifting from the Father. And so we can't hope to, by accident, come closer to the Lord, right? Because it's, it's not going to happen, right? And so I want to talk about the spiritual disciplines for just a little bit, or the ways of Jesus, the habits of grace, whatever you want to call them, um, because there is work involved, right? There's work that comes with following Jesus, right? The, uh, the, the passage I read from Matthew 11 uh, a moment ago, I'll read it again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the yoke, you guys probably know what it is, but it was a, a working tool, right? For, you would put two ox or two cattle together, so that way, as you were plowing, it would, the one wouldn't get ahead of the other. They would remain side by side. And so it's, a, it's an instrument of work. And so Jesus says, take my yoke. Be yoked with me. Not, you're going to do this or just come sit over here, but I'm yoked here. Jesus is beside me. You're with me now. Come with me. Take this yoke upon me. My burden, yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so thinking about it from that standpoint, I've got a quote I want to read from one of my favorite books, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I added it to my notes after I'd already 
typed and printed them out, uh, and this is too long to write by hand, so I just brought the book up here. Uh, it's on page 86 if you want to follow. Um, but listen to this. This is uh, a quote in the book, Frederick Dale Bruner. So this is not from the author, but he's, he's quoting this guy. He's a scholar of the Gospel of Matthew. So he's talking about the, the easy yoke, the paradox of the easy yoke. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them, right? So in reality, life is one problem after the next. Let's just be real, right? Christmas vacation's great. Got to go back to work this week. In, in school, it was summer vacation. I can't, I can't, I'm so happy. This is going to be the best eternity. And then a week later, school starts next week. You know, there's always a problem, right? And those are silly things, but something always comes up, right? And you guys know that. Realism sees a life as a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of caring life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Man, I love that. Jesus doesn't offer an escape. He offers an instrument, a tool, a way to walk through this life that is one problem after the next because of our father Adam, because of the sin that has been introduced, because of the brokenness and the hurt. That is a very real reality. We have a way to walk through life, right? He offers us his way of life, the ways of Jesus, the spiritual disciplines, right? And I know that can sound confusing because just a minute ago I said it doesn't matter how well you do these things, it's not going to be enough, right? So don't get, don't get me confused when I say that because, yes, those things in themselves won't solve the problem, right? Because the spiritual disciplines, the, the things that God has called us to, being in the Word, spending time in prayer with Him, journaling, fasting, giving, all these things, those are a means to an end, right? But often, like I said, we are focused on the fruit. We are focused on, on those specific things, right? If I just do this more, if I just you know, spend more time in the Word, have a stronger prayer life, if I just start giving more in the plate at church, right? If I just maybe fast every, every now and then, um, you know, continue filling those blanks, right? We get it backwards, right? Those are supposed to be a means to an end. Those are not an end of themselves, right? You know, if you go to a vineyard, you look and see lots of rows of grapevines. You'll see trellises holding them up, keeping them in a line. The trellis will keep the, the leaves and the vines off the ground. It will hold them up so the, the leaves can get sunlight, helps the plants grow. But listen to this quote about a, a trellis in also from this book. I wrote this one down. I think it's on the screen as well. The point of a trellis isn't to make the vines stand up straight in neat rows, but rather to attain a rich, deep glass of wine. It's to create space for the vine to grow and bear fruit. And unlike other types of habits, the practices of Jesus aren't just exercises for your mind and body to grow their willpower, muscle, and cultivate character. They are far more. They are how, open, they are how we open our minds and bodies to a power far beyond our own and affect change. This is why we read God's word. 
This is why we talk to him. This is why we pray. This is why we fast. This is why we obey his commands, right? Not so that we can keep everything in nice, neat, straight rows. Everyone can say, man, look at Craig. Look at John. They're doing great. They've got their life all figured out. Craig's shaking his head no. Man, that's not the purpose, right? The purpose is not so we can say, we've got it all figured out. Look at all these, my checklists. I'm keeping everything in order. The purpose is so that we can go before the one who can give us power, who can transform us, right? Who can produce the fruit in our lives, right? They are a means to an end, right? So rather than flexing, trying to do it all by ourselves, we should yield, right? Flexing, yielding, right? We trust when Jesus says he's making us new. We trust when we know he has his best interest for us, right? We as the branch, we don't have to transform ourselves, right? There's, like I said, there's no amount of strength or power that you can muster up to transform ourselves. And we don't have to. He hasn't asked us to do that, right? We stay connected to him, and we trust that he is transforming us, right? This is why we wanted to do the reading plan, for instance, right? Not so we could put another thing on your plate or add another New Year's resolution to you for 2024. We simply wanted to create a space for you to come open-handed before the Lord and say, God, what might you have for me, right? I have nothing to offer to you, but you have given me everything. I yield to you, not my own strength and my flexing to, man, I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to memorize all this scripture. More power to you. Do that, but do it with an attitude of humility. Go before the Lord saying, God, please work in me. I need you. I need you. I got to yield, right? I've got enough time. I'm going to tell this story. Um, last time I preached, I told a story from when I was in Africa. It's been a summer in Africa when I was in college um, interning. And uh, one of the things that we would do while we were in different villages there, we would dig water wells. And so the, the process would be we would dig two, like, six-foot pits. Uh, one would be filled with water, and you would use the, the drill, would suck that water into the hole as it was drilling down, and then the water would flow back out into the next pit. And it was like a cycle. And so when you hit, like, a, a cavity or, a, or, I don't know how it works, sand or something down there that water would flow into, um, the water would, would be gone. It wouldn't come back up, right? And so I was the water boy, basically. I would have to drive the truck with a 1,000-liter um, water drum in the back, and we would drive about a mile to the river, and we would turn on a big water pump, fill it up. It was a whole ordeal. It would take about 30 minutes each trip, and then we would drive back. It's 1,000 pounds of water in the back of the truck, right? And so this time of year, it's the dry season, so the riverbank... The, the riverbanks are about um, half a mile wide. Very big river, but it gets really small um, in the dry season. So you've got to drive out on the riverbed and the sand, and so there's always that possibility of getting stuck while you're out there. We had four-wheel drive and everything. So we're, we're in, the, in the truck. I'm driving, and we have two, two uh, older gentlemen with me back from, who are back from the, from the States on a, like a team from a, a church there, and they... Uh, help me fill up the water and everything, and they get back in the truck. I turn it on. It's an old standard. I go to first gear. I'm hitting the gas. Nothing. Can't get anything going. Wheels are spinning. I'm like, oh, we do not have time for this. Um, try it again. Can't get anything. I'm like, guys, we're stuck. And they're like, all right, we'll get out. We'll dig and uh, see if you can get out that way. So they're digging. It's like 100 degrees, just sweating, sweating, sweating. I'm trying. Mm, nothing. They're starting to push, nothing. We, they go and find some wood to put under the tires. 
nothing. It's not working. I'm like, what the heck is going on? We hadn't been stuck all week. And then while they're out there pushing, I mean, just drenched with sweat at this point, I just happened to catch in the corner of my eye uh, the parking brake. <laughs> yes. And so uh, I, uh, they're, they're kind of, at this point, pretty defeated, standing up, leaning. I was like, guys, give one more push. Let's just try one more time. And, I just, <laughs> and it works. I didn't have the courage to tell them until later that night, you know, because uh, let them cool off and get a meal in them a little bit. But uh, obviously, we got out of it, and we were fine, right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, dude. I felt bad, right? I felt really bad, obviously. But I, I say all that, um, man, to to allude it to, to this, like bring it back in, that man, we so oftentimes are digging and digging and digging to no end, right? What, what we are doing, these works that we get so caught up in of how can I please the Father? How can I produce more fruit? How can I make the Father proud of me? Or how can I earn his love, right? As we are digging and digging and digging, man, it is, it is futile, right? Nothing is going to come of it because our works are not enough, right? We are not connected to the power in those moments. We are thinking that way, and we are trying to operate out of our own strength, right? And so rather than flexing, right, we need to yield. We need to, man, let go of the parking brake. Quit getting in our own way and stopping ourselves, right? Put your faith in the Lord, or, man, go back to the Lord. Trust that he is working in you, that he has a plan, a purpose, he has a desire for you. He hasn't called you to these things and asked you to do them on your own, right? He is yoked up with you and asking you, just come with me, just remain with me, and I will take you where you need to go, right? So for some of you, it's just sitting still and asking God, what do you want from me, right? Some of us, we might have, we might have everything mapped out and planned for the next year, the next five years, I don't know. Um, that's not I just can't do that. But, you know, a lot of us, man, we have plans. We've got, we know exactly what our next three steps are, right? Have we consulted the Lord? Have we asked him, God, what, what would you say about this? What would you have to say about my future? Where are you taking me? Am I going the opposite direction of what you're calling me to? Some of us, we just need to stop and ask. Figure out what is he trying to show you, right? And then actually listen after you ask, right? For some of us, that's what we need to do to get connected again, right? And so... Maybe it's just taking a moment, stop trying to be his best child, stop trying to be the number one student in the class, and just be his child, right? And just rest in the fact that we have a creator, we have a king, we have a savior who has put you on this earth and has not left you alone, right? He has seen us in our sin, he has seen us in our brokenness, and he said, man, I'm going to intervene, right? And so he humbly comes to the same earth, broken, torn apart, and he breaks himself for us, right, so that we might know him, right? He wants us to be his. He has invited us into that family, into that banquet feast, not asking us to bring anything but ourselves, right? So quit trying to be his best child and just, just sit with him, just be his. And then for some of you, maybe it's putting your faith in Christ, yielding to the Spirit for the first time in your life. You know, I don't know where each of you are, but, I mean, I think the scripture is pretty clear when he says what happens to the branches that, that aren't connected will wither away and will be tossed into the fire. I mean, if you, if you believe what, what the Bible says or you're, I mean, at least interested or, or curious about it, I would take that statement extremely seriously, right? It's scary. 
I think it should be a little scary, right? Thinking about our eternity, right? There is a reality that we are in desperate need of eternal help, of help today, of help on the way home, of, of a Savior, of a Lord who is in control of all things, right? And apart from him, we can do nothing. So maybe today is a day you say, God, I need you, right? I hope it's the day, if you've never done it, and it should be the day regardless that we are reminded we can do nothing apart from the Lord. God, I need you to take my sin. I need you to give me a new heart. I need you to save me. Lord, I need you to keep me from being cast into the fire. So what does that look like today? Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you so much that you are not a God who, man, expects uh, certain things on our own that we have to bring to you, that we have to meet certain standards. Lord, I think that you have invited us into a relationship with you, and all you ask for is uh, our faith and our obedience, Lord. I pray that um, we would not get so caught up in the fruit, and we would not get so caught up in what do I need to do to win your approval, Lord? But I pray that we would simply ask, Lord, how can I come to know you deeper? How can I come to rest in you? How can I be connected with you, Lord? Would you just take our mind off of the production of it all, Lord? And would you put our eyes on a genuine relationship with you and simply sitting with you and being with you, Lord? For those of us who are tired, who feel broken, who don't know what to do next, who feel depressed, who feel alone, who feel like nobody's listening or nobody cares. God, I pray that we would just know that you are near. Lord, you have never moved. You've never changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God, I pray that, Lord, if we have drifted, if we have turned from you, if we have walked the other way, that we would know that as far as we have gone the other way, Lord, you are one step the other direction. You are always pursuing. You are always chasing. You are always drawing near. You are always wooing us back in. Lord, let us be reminded of your heart for us this morning, that you have not forsaken us. You have not left us to figure it out alone. Lord, there is help in you. You are where our help comes from. You are the one who provides for us. You are the one who leads us out of darkness. You are the one who brings us into light. And so, so much more, Lord. You are the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And still, you love us. You are mindful of us. You think about us and you care about us, Lord. So, would we rest in that this year? Would we be encouraged by that? And would we grow in love for you? Would we remain in you? It's in your son's name I pray.